We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store, back where it says horror videos, and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing? Inquiring minds want to know. I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. Stop the prime time, bitch! Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some video. Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. And I'm Spoiled Oat Milk Mike. And last but not least, it's Colton. And we are back, and we have brought a special guest with us this episode. We uh, we decided this podcast needed a woman's touch, I guess, for, uh, you know, this amazing Mike pick. So we've brought friend of the podcast, Jill, on. Say hello to the people. Hey, people. What's up? We, uh, we know Jill uh, from way, way back. Uh, Newfoundland days. My Newfoundland days. And when I... Uh, when I thought about this movie, I immediately thought of Jill, because uh, I guess you're just, your fashion, you're, you're, oh my God. Gl- you're I'm glam, fashion? you're fashion, so the taste, the taste, the taste, the look. Okay. I actually wrote my notebook, Glam Horror, this is a new genre. <laughs> <laughs> glam Horror, I like it, I like it. Mm-hmm. So, I figured let's start off just a, a, a little about you, Jill, let's uh, talk about your experiences in horror are you familiar with the genre uh do you watch a lot of it what are some of your favorites uh give us the tea all right um so i've been into horror for a long time had a goth stage when i was a teenager so you know watched all that horror Colton and, uh, really feels like uh he's got a kindred spirit in here now kindred spirits yeah yeah That's awesome good stuff Love that. Yeah. Um, I kind of took a break from horror, but I've started to like kind of get back into it. I have a Shudder subscription now, so that's pretty cool. Um, probably my favorite horror movie ever is Ginger Snaps. Nice. Um, so I feel like yes. that kind of goes with this movie a little bit with like the feminine thing going on. So, so yeah, I'm really excited for this movie. Well, uh, we always start off the show, uh, you know, just talking about what we've been consuming media wise what we've been watching, whether it's television, movies, uh, what you've been listening to, music, what you've been reading, books, because obviously, you know, other than people that can't really read, like Colton, we all read. Uh, Thanks. (laughs) Isn't he a writer or something? (laughs) Yeah, I'm one of those that after I started writing a lot more, I have a hard time reading because I just kind of constantly obsess over their word choice in like every sentence. And it's just, I don't know, it's very hard for me to get through things nowadays, so... I got it's, you. Uh, yeah, it's not the best. <laughs> so let's start with our very own trash panda, Mike. What have you been watching? What have you been reading? <laughs> what an um, intro. Okay, so of course, obviously, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills just premiered for season 12 a few days ago. So I gobbled that episode up in, you know, like very fast fashion. Other than that, I've been, of course, binging through Real Housewives of New Jersey. 
from the beginning. I'm finally hitting season five. But I haven't been, like, consuming a whole lot of media the last couple weeks because it's been kind of a weird period for me, which I won't get into. But um, I have been getting away from all the weird shit going on with the brand new and very fun Evil Dead video game that just came out. Oh, last nice. Week. I haven't played it so yet. So I've been very much enjoying that. Um, It's really cool um of course bruce campbell's in it because anything evil dead he stars in um but uh they also got like because they take a bunch of the characters in it that you can play as from like the different movies so like from the first one and um two and army of darkness and also the tv series and a couple of the characters from part two they didn't get the actors for, but they took a couple of the like OG characters from the very first movie and um, put them in it and got the original actors to do the voices. So that's really cool. So I'm really enjoying playing that. That's all I've been doing and like mentally checking out. So what about y'all? What about you, Jill? What have you been consuming? Uh, World of Warcraft, as usual. Um nice. But I've been reading a lot of short stories. Um, that's what I do at work since I like tutor kids for a living. I'm just reading short stories. Um, I did recently read a Frankenstein graphic novel, which was really cool. Nice. Um, and... Can I ask what short stories you've been reading? <sighs> if there's any that like j- jump out or for like a particular author you've been reading? Or... One short story, and this is a classic one that I really liked, was Flowers for Algernon. If you know that one, nice. so like yeah, I know yeah, it's yeah. like sci-fi and like dystopian stuff like that. So that was really good. Uh, book-wise, um, I recently got uh, another graphic novel um, by Poppy. Like if you're familiar with Poppy, like the YouTube artist, she also has like a couple of graphic novels. So I've been reading those. Oh, I didn't know she did graphic novels. I love her music. Neither did I. Yeah. No, so it's wow. kind of cool. I really like it. And nice. for like TV, I've been really into The Walking Dead. Like I finally got into it recently and I just binged up the whole way. And now I'm like um, where they currently are airing. So yeah. That's, that's a lot. Like, yeah. It's a, it is a lot. It's like a lot. <laughs> 10 seasons all the spinoffs and everything i didn't watch all the spinoffs but oh, i did God. find a book at barnes and noble the other day it's called the quotable negan and it has like a bunch he's my favorite he is so hot um but it's just a bunch of quotes of him cussing like strings of cuss words and it's like the best book i own right now so yeah wait is me. that jeffrey dean morgan yeah he's, yeah he's so yeah hot. okay yeah he has a silver yeah. fox the comedian he's, he's great. <laughs> I, yeah He's he's really great. Oh, also in TV, I've been watching the Pioneer Woman on the Food Network. <laughs> but oh, wow. that's kind of embarrassing. So we'll continue. Oh, and 90 Day Fiance, if you're into reality TV, Mike. Oh my God, don't even get row started. <laughs> <laughs> I literally, can I just say that I got a text message from him and Exilia like two days ago saying, Mike, start watching 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> this is true this is very true (laughs) yeah um i don't know i I haven't been watching a whole lot over the past couple of weeks other than like a lot of disposable tv podcasts and the amber heard johnny depp trial just kind of leaving that on in the background i guess just to torture myself a little bit uh but that being said i did rewatch avatar 
for the first time in over a decade. Uh, how do we feel about Avatar here on the podcast? I'm just curious. Uh, you know, has everyone seen it or which Avatar? You know, I've never seen it. Yeah, I'm gonna be brutally honest. I never watched it because I thought it looked fucking stupid. <laughs> okay, what about you? I, I, Jill? I, I, Have I've you said seen I'm it? Be at least? Are I'm you talking be about James Cameron or the anime? Yeah, no, James Cameron. Oh, 2009. Act- hell yeah! I actually bought it okay. on DVD the other day at like a thrift store. Okay, cool. Because Amazing. like a lot of pe- yeah, a lot of people have been hating on that movie in recent years, and uh, I couldn't really remember it too well. But the new trailer was going to premiere before Doctor Strange, so I figured I'd give it a go, and I really enjoyed it. Which is it's you know it's just funny to say because everyone likes to hate on it, but uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of some of the like military propaganda in the movie or a lot of like the simple on the nose dialogue, but. By the time we got to the third act, I was like completely invested in it, which is, you know, it's just silly to say when everyone like boils this movie down to like Pocahontas with blue aliens. But uh, I don't know. I wow. Now I really vi- want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, no, like, dude, the I thought the visuals still held up. I think they're as good as a lot of modern day blockbusters and better than most of what we get in the COVID era. And uh, I don't know. I felt like the movie had a lot of heart. It wasn't like a cynical corporate cash grab to me you know i mean this new one might be but at the time i kind of believe that (laughs) yeah that everyone like wanted to just create something magical like a new alien world so yeah i don't know i'm i'm a fan i'm looking forward to december hopefully the sequel will be good the only thing i'm not really looking forward to is that i think it's going to bring back 3d movies all the time in theaters again which is just terrible um, Mike's speaking face. of which oh sorry go ahead Jill uh saying Mike's face he like screwed up his face when he heard that yeah I know <laughs> yeah, yeah I, no, I I just remember the days when that was um like literally the standard you know you get eight out of ten movies in 3d just for no reason <laughs> yeah and that's that's literally what happened to me because the other thing I saw was Doctor Strange and I specifically bought like a regular IMAX ticket and went to like a Saturday showing at one o'clock hoping that I wouldn't have to see it in 3D because everything else was 3D. And of course, I got upgraded at the last minute and just had to suffer through the latest iteration of in the MCU in 3D. And uh, yeah, I, I know from the discourse online, like there's some pretty ardent defenders of this movie, but uh, I got to say, like it, it really didn't work for me. I felt like it was constantly at odds with itself. Like it was kind of battling whether it wanted to adhere to the boundaries of the MCU or if it wanted to be like a weird Sam Raimi movie. Like, it was just constantly, like, back and forth. And then, you know, to me, it was like the villain was underdeveloped. The characters established in, like, the previous works, they just weren't authentic to themselves. Um, The new people they established, I didn't like. And then, like, the cinematography, the visual effects, just everything fell flat for me. So, I don't know. The the couple of friends I went with said it was the second worst (laughs) MCU movie right behind Eternals. I don't know if I'd quite go that far, but, uh, yeah, it's... You know, it it wasn't for me, and it's the type of thing that it's like, let Sam Raimi make something completely original, uh, or just let the dude retire, because after this and Oz the Great and Powerful or whatever, I don't know if he's kind of got it anymore, because, I don't know, his output for the last 10 years hasn't been the greatest, to say the least. That's that's basically all of substance that I've been watching. Um, what about you, Rowan? Uh, so probably the, you know, stuff with the most substance, I definitely... Have been going hard on the 90 Day Fiance. Hard. Uh, 
I think we're at like season like four or five now. Like we've definitely been going hard on it. And surprisingly, you know, usually this is like a 20 minute, uh, you know, runway for me, but I really haven't been watching anything. The uh, the only movie I've watched since last time we recorded is uh, what our latest Now Slain episode is on. Oh, I never even mentioned that. Yeah, Firestarter. Yeah, Firestarter. So that's the that's the only thing I have watched. It's just been hectic. I went on my Toronto trip. I did. Uh, I've got some movies. I brought back that I'm definitely uh, might have to watch a couple tonight. Mike, you're going to appreciate I bought Virus starring Jamie Lee Curtis. I've never seen it. Oh my God. That I almost forgot that existed. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, just because we enjoyed our uh, Dracula experience so much, I went out and bought uh, The Murders in Rue Morgue featuring Bela Lugosi. Bela. Bela. <laughs> so I, I'm interested to sink my teeth in that. But yeah, this is a short one, guys. Sorry to disappoint the listeners. but Well, you didn't watch anything because you were too busy going on a buying binge. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you haven't had time to watch anything because you've been shopping like a motherfucker. And are the seasons of 90 Day Fiance, are those like 24 episodes a season? Like, have you just <laughs> no, been like mainlining no. it? <laughs> there are no, many the, spinoffs. I haven't watched any of the spinoffs yet. Okay, there's a few of those too. Oh, there's like... Wait, I thought you guys were being sarcastic. There's actually 90 Day Fiance spinoffs. Oh, there's so oh, yeah. many. Yeah. This show is a franchise. There's at least like oh, six wow. to seven spinoffs. So like, I Love New York and like, of like Flavor and Love, Flavor and Love and stuff. <laughs> right. So that type of spinoff. Right. Before or the oh, 90 yeah. days or like the 90 day yeah. diaries pillow talks and then they actually have people commenting on it while it's happening there's a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. do you know i actually oh applied to be on that show years ago and they didn't take what? me that's so, a shame what it. a loss what a loss right i guess i'm not drama enough you should have brought more drama <laughs> oh whatever but yeah no uh so that's and i haven't been reading anything or i've been doing nothing guys so that's everything, but that's all right because you know I think we got a lot to sink our teeth into tonight. We have a mic pick this week, as always. I you know we'll discuss whether it was good or bad. The Neon Demon 2016. He was trying to please me with this pick. I can tell. I actually was. <laughs> I thought of you. I thought of you. So we will get into the trailer and then we will be back with the bio. People see you, they notice. Am I staring? You're going to be great. There is something about her. Who wants sour milk when you can get fresh meat? I'm not as helpless as I look. Stop! Thank you for being so good to me. The Neon Demon, rated R, in theaters June 24th. The Neon Demon was directed by Nicholas Winding Refn and written by Nicholas Winding Refn, Polly Stenham, and Mary Laws, and the story is as follows. When aspiring model Jessie moves to Los Angeles, her youthful look catches the eye of fledgling photographers, seedy motel owners, and narcissistic fashion designers alike. As Jessie's career and status rise, it doesn't take long before she's devoured by her peers, who will take any means necessary to get what she has. All right, so first experiences with the film is this your first time seeing it or when was your first time and what are your overall experiences with this film we'll start with you jill uh i had never heard of it honestly until you messaged me about it so this is my first experience oh nice what about uh yourself mike okay well obviously 
you know, we are big fans of Drive. Um, Obviously. We have watched it. We have watched it together numerous times. We obsess over the visuals and the soundtrack and blah, blah, blah. So I was very much looking forward to this. And when, you know, when the trailer came out, I was like, amazing. I don't think we even got it here in theaters. So I had to wait until it came out in uh, like digital and watched it at my house my old apartment because this was a few years ago now and i may in my zeal to how do i say appreciate it on every psychic level possible <laughs> i may have gotten a bit too high and drank a bit too much <laughs> so i watched it when it came out and i remember like the first half hour and then after that it became this weird like jumble trip. of images in my head yeah it was just like a trip and i'm like yeah. i don't know if i don't know i could couldn't tell if my memories were real or like something that i made up because <laughs> i was really high <laughs> so i've i've been meaning for the last couple of years to like rewatch it in a more like sober um state of mind so this was not my first time watching it but it was my first clear-headed <laughs> viewing. What about you, Ro? Yeah, so this isn't my first time seeing this. Uh, you know, uh, Nicholas uh, Reffin is my aesthetic. It's He's like my all-time. He's up there for me, for directors. Uh, it doesn't even matter if the movies are good. He gets me on every level. But obviously, Drive... Only God Forgives, like, those are two of my favorite movies. So, when I had heard about this coming out, I was super excited. I remember seeing all the trailers for it. Like, Mike said, yeah, I'm pretty sure it never came to the theater. So, the first time I watched this, I just went it... As soon as it came out on Blu-ray, I went out and I bought the Blu-ray. And, uh, watching it this time, I remembered absolutely nothing of it, apparently. I was convinced this was, like, a vampire movie and apparently it is not so <laughs> did not remember a thing about it uh what about you colton yeah this came out when i was in my toronto year so i did something like i watched like 140 movies in theaters so i did see this in theaters because i'd go to the movie theater like two to three times a week yeah very much like yourselves you know i was familiar with drive uh i tried to watch some of other uh nicholas winding reference works and kind of found them pretty uh boring or laborious like pretty hard to get through i remember falling asleep while trying to watch valhalla rising and just not going back to it so yeah i but that being said i was looking forward to this because i did really like drive i don't know if i'd call it a masterpiece or i love it quite as much as you guys but i do think it's a great movie and uh i i was a fan of l fanning i think at this time because i think i saw her in Mel mary shelley and a couple of other things uh maybe some tiff movies so i was curious to see her in this like uh heightened horror aesthetic movie by Nicholas Winding Refn. So yeah, I, I saw it in theaters, but uh, I haven't really watched it since other than for this podcast. Uh, I think it's time we get into the meat and potatoes of the review. We know where we're going to start. It's our favorite kill. I feel with this one, we have to do favorite scene because there's just not that many kills in it. One kill, I think. <laughs> exactly. So favorite scene, Mike, this was your pick. What's your favorite scene from this? Um, oh God, I hate to be basic. Actually, I don't. I love being basic. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my basicness, I I mean, there's like a bunch of scenes that I quite enjoy. Um, but like, I just I love for so many reasons the like the climax because I love the like aesthetic of the like photo shoot that they're doing by the pool because it's very like Helmut Lang and I. One of the reasons why I like this movie so much and I was looking forward to it so much 
was because I have a really throbbing hard on for like fashion photography and shit. So um, I spent a lot of hours and days <laughs> over my years like looking at it and studying it. So I really appreciated the like aesthetic choices they were making. And um, like I was watching, you know, they're like perhaps not to be used on blonde white girl braid styles and was like, this is totally something that some clueless like stylist on a fashion shoot would do. But like when they're just standing there and like, you know, she's trying not to like wretch and everything. It's just like, there's something about it. that's so like weirdly like cold and hot at the same time. And then, you know, obviously when she goes in the back room and like tries to cut Elle Fanning out of her and dies. And it's just that, that whole sequence is like to me, the like aesthetic explosion. It's the like, you know, <laughs> the ejaculation. <laughs> I don't wow. know how else to describe it. I don't, I'm losing it. But I just, like, I love it. I love how they move from that, like, really hot outside, like, sweaty, standing at the pool, like, static. And then they go inside and it's this, like, chilly, cool, like, blue room. And then it's, like, covered in blood and, like, a fucking eyeball. And there's just so much happening and I love it. And then, like, the movie's over and I'm like, I fucking love this. <laughs> So I'm basic. I'm sorry. I hate saying the climax of movies sometimes, but it just that whole the whole setup. And it was just like I said, it was very Helmet Lang. I could picture like Sigourney Weaver, like standing naked, like with a dog on a leash being in that scene. So I don't know what y'all think. Colton, what about you? Uh, dude, mine's going to sound like shade, but I honestly like my favorite moments of the movie are the opening credits and the closing credits which is mean to say I could pick an actual scene but I do think like I have like notes here and it's like man this credit sequence is a vibe which I completely agree like mm-hmm. the the music uh the way like the titles kind of fade it's kind of like entrancing like it's like luring you in and then the ending sequence where it's like in the Mojave Desert it's like completely different where it's just like somebody's wandering we're not 100% sure who it is where they're going it feels like very ethereal and like uh, otherworldly which a lot of the movie to me does feel very like saccharine sweet and very like magical and weird. It just, it feels very offbeat to me, like for most of the movie. So like at the end, I was like, okay, no, this feels like a fitting end. If I do have to pick an actual scene, it's uh, probably where Ruby is doing the makeup for an elderly corpse. It's a very short scene, but she kind of holds up like the photo of the elderly woman and starts doing the makeup on her. And for whatever reason, when I was watching it this time, that was kind of like what stuck out to me. Because it was still, like, even in death, we're so concerned about looking good. Like, you know, where you're hollowed out, it shows all the scars. Like, you're empty on the inside, but we're still concerned with what we look like on the outside. Which, of course, is very thematic for a lot of the movie. So, if I had to pick a scene, it's probably that very small scene. It's probably 30 seconds. But as I was watching it, I noted it. I was like, oh, this was very good. I liked how hard it hammered the theme without people explicitly talking about the theme. Which this movie kind of does in a lot of other parts. But uh, Jill, what about yourself? What's your favorite uh, scene? That's a hot take, Colton. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, it's good. Spicy. 
Um, well, Mike, baby, you thought you were basic, but this is this is way more basic. This is Tumblr circa 2013 or something. Oh, my God. My aesthetic, <laughs> Um, So my favorite scene is like that really lovely scene uh, where Jesse or Elle Fanning's character, uh, it's like Twilight in L.A. and they're driving in this convertible and there's like palm trees in the background. And then afterwards, they're like standing like on a mountain. Uh, looking at the city and she's just kind of like twirling in her dress um it i don't know it just really does something for me it's really nice and i've been listening to um this new music project uh done by davy havoc of afi and um like everyone in no doubt except for gwen stefani um they have this new project called dream car and like a lot of it is like honestly this movie's aesthetic and also that la like kind of sound and like beachy kind of sound and stuff i don't know i really like it yeah what about you, Rowan? I like it. I like that pick. But I'm going to double down on all of you. I feel it's like poker. Uh, I'm calling the... Uh, I am the most basic. We're having a... As, as our friend Drew would say, a race to the bottom. <laughs> the race to the bottom. The intro. The photography session. Yeah, I was just like, this is this is it. Rowan has hit like his euphoria of movie watching. Uh, it's so like elegant and beautiful and, like, even though, you know, afterwards we know it's fake, but we have, like, the blood everywhere and, like, just, like, the positioning of her body on the couch. And then we're getting, like, these, I think you said, Colton, like, kind of the whole feel of the movie. Just, like, almost this very, like, otherworldly, like, non-human feel where we're <laughs> seeing the photographer. We don't know that it's Dean yet. We just know it's a guy and he's just kind of like staring at her. I'm sorry. And then we're, you know, we're his name is Bean. Bean. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Bean. Bean. That was the biggest shade move ever. I need to remember that the next time I meet someone named Dean. <laughs> oh, the next time I see my cousin Dean, I'll be like, "Hey, Bean. <laughs> Wait, what's your name?" But yeah, I just everything about that. It, it was gorgeous. Uh, obviously, like we had those, you know, uh, vibrant blue hues going on, which just make me melt. There's no way, like you know, any of uh, reference films. Like, there's no way Argento isn't his like top influence in total. Because I mean, his aesthetic is just Dario Argento essentially yeah. uh but yeah that that's uh i'd say that is my favorite scene i was gonna say interesting with the with the color palette in this also because uh old nicholas claims that he's colorblind so he can't actually see any of these colors uh, just interesting tidbit for you guys that's crazy it had a lot of um bisexual lighting in it oh i found this one was like a lot of the like blue and purple. color symbolism <laughs> maybe yeah. that was just me yeah, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if this is on purpose, but I'm digging it. I'm digging it. I was going to say, yeah, I, I I wonder how much is on purpose, how much isn't. I, I feel like any, any of the interviews I read from him about this or like any of the interviews, he his movies always seem a lot deeper than he seems to think they are because, you know, all his interviews, he kind of was just like, yeah, you know, I wanted to make this movie about like beauty standards and it was going to be a horror movie and you know this is what i made and it just doesn't seem like he ever really thinks like too deeply so i don't know if that's like a good uh trait i kind of like it it's not obnoxious or like pretentious you know yeah 
No, you're right. You're right. I do want to give like the most massive shout out of this episode because I I opened the uh, letterboxed and I was like I have to know what people like think about this film and perhaps one even better than anything Mike's ever written for a movie. The greatest. First of all, how dare you? <laughs> the greatest <laughs> one star review for it I ever read, which was, can anyone confirm that rent? Rev has actually met a person. <laughs> I agree with that. And, right. but it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Like, you know, I think if you see Drive and Only God Forgives, like, this is, this is Nicholas's thing. Like, these unnatural conversations with people and unnatural reactions, unnatural looks. I always find it gives off, uh, like a science fiction vibe more than a horror vibe. I mean, listen, yeah. one of the girls said, I want to be like a hanger. And I'm like, that's such a perfect explanation for these characters. They just want to be hangers for his ideas <laughs> and some pretty clothes and nice lighting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I very much got that as I was watching it. The dialogue pretty much consistently was very uh, distracting for me. Like, uh, I hear your parents are dead. That must be really hard for you. You must have a boyfriend. It's like, who the fuck talks like that? <laughs> like, that was like one of the first she like, interactions. She was throwing shade. Yeah, <laughs> I hear but it was so, <laughs> so wooden. Like, when I heard it, I, I was just like, I was like, dude, who would write this? I Like, I, I noted at a certain point, I was like, this movie must be written by a man. Just because, like, everything was just, like, so concerned about, like, who they were dating or how hot they were. And then I was like, okay. But is that intentional? There actually are two women. Like, are they trying to be wooden because they're cold and calculated uh, because they're working in the fashion industry? And people aren't people to them. They're objects that they use to sell clothes. So I felt like, yeah, the, like, the dialogue was a little blunt and stuff, but... I kind of feel like maybe like, you know, when you're when you're that deep into like the fashion industry, it's that cutthroat. That's how shady they are, like Mike said. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's probably what Nicholas Winding Refn would say. But there's loads of movies about um, like people trying to break into Hollywood or like going to Los Angeles and like falling apart. Like the whole point of most of those movies are like trying to break in an industry and just everyone being like super cold and calculating. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like I feel like a lot of the other ones I've seen have done a, a much better job with just like the dialogue and overall it's just I don't know it's something that I've noticed in some of his movies that is just it throws me off every time drive actually isn't written by him but that is like something when I'm watching drive as well like the first half feels very like saccharine sweet it's just literally like a I don't know it's almost like a rom-com for half the movie and then the other half is just like a explosive gore fest that feels like completely at odds for the with the first half you just saw I, I do get what you're saying where it's just like yeah, of course, like, you know, the runway where, like, all the women are stripped down and they're basically treated like hunks of meat and a lot of, like, what they're saying, like, you know, you could just say that is intentional, but I kind of wonder, like, couldn't have you still conveyed that without, I don't know, bad dialogue, in my opinion? Right. But, Rowan also said know. this guy, like, <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing. He's just making movies. So, like, maybe he's just making whatever and we're just kind of dissecting it. <laughs> <laughs> well well that that is kind of what i period, feel like you know I, I didn't throw shade but like i also feel like that cadaver thing is like a metaphor for most of his movies where they are very beautiful on the outside but they're lacking a lot of like substance for me like i do find a lot of them are like all style no substance i know that's a very like common critique of his filmography but it's it's, it's also just, like, a very boring one <laughs> Well, but that's what I'm just saying. Like, as I watched this, I was like, yeah, I, I get what you're doing. I was so bored after an hour. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
You know what bores me? People who have all sorts of ideas and have no flesh. It's a movie. I want to see flesh. I want to be aesthetically dazzled. Preach. Well, I'm not and saying you can't be aesthetically dazzled, though. I'm saying right? you could also do... You could have, like, characters that aren't cut out. You, could have... you can, but you don't need to. It's like looking at a photograph. If I want to, like, look at a fashion photograph, I don't need it to tell me a goddamn story about, like, you know, some social issue. I just want it to look hot. So, so why <laughs> I did wanted this movie, movie to look hot. Why did he make a movie then and not just, like, uh, get aligned with, like, a fashion brand? Why didn't he just, like, do, like, a runway show? Why did he have to make a movie if he just wanted to, like, show off you know, fashion lighting when apparently he's colorblind. So like, that's not even attributed to him. That'd be a cinematographer and his director of photography. Um, I don't know. I don't Honestly, know. I thought it was like a very symbolic movie actually. And I actually really liked it. One of the things I liked about it most was that it was really implicit. Like there wasn't that much dialogue, but there's a lot of feeling. I agree, Jill. Rowan, what do you think? I feel like we've just been talking. You've just been listening. <laughs> we've, so we've... Get in. Rose, Rose just standing back from like the fucking gunfire at this point. I know you're a huge uh, Nicholas Winding Refn fan, but I'm just curious. I'm an observer. I mean, this one, I mean, if we were putting this, you know, if we were ranking the, the Nicholas Refn movies, like this definitely isn't in my like top of his. Uh, I do think this is, you know, probably one of the like the weaker entries, even though I do really like this. One of my main critiques of it is I, I think the almost two hour runtime is a little rough. Now, his runtime is usually around there. I think there probably was some spots that he could have, you know, trimmed up a bit. There was some, you know, there was some stuff that, although beautiful, didn't necessarily, I think, went anywhere. Like, my big thing with this watch was, like, the stuff with, like, the, the Jaguar or whatever it was, like, in the room. I, I thought that had more, I guess in my mind, that had more of a, a place in the narrative and then this watch, I was kind of like, oh, like, it's just kind of like a thing that looked cool that, you know, other than this tie-in that we get in uh, the mansion at Ruby's house, like, they have that stuffed Jaguar on, like, I actually there. have something to was, say about that. Oh, um, well, please. I have, like, three main themes for this movie, and one of them is, like, predation. And I think mm-hmm. uh, the Jaguar and the... The wild cat, I think it's either foreshadowing uh, that she's going to meet her demise on the catwalk or also because of a cat fight, which actually all of that mm-hmm. happens. So I feel like that is symbolism. Brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good correlation. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to ask you to leave the podcast. Okay, y'all, uh, sorry. <laughs> and by leave, we mean beyond. There's every- one more thing. Also, <laughs> after they showed, um, I think it was the cat in the room. They immediately transitioned to a photo shoot of another model, and she's wearing animal print. So I thought that was a cool transition. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. notice that. I didn't notice that. It's because we're a bunch of stupid oh, wow. men. That's, that's why. why. Well, I, I kind of took it as just like the same thing, like what Jill was saying, like the predator prey dynamic but specifically with the motel right like how you know very clearly like people were getting into the rooms and you know sexually assaulting like the women that were staying there you know Keanu Reeves character is very uh omniscient he like knows where all the women are staying specifically points out to uh what's his name Room 212 yeah exactly like points out where she's staying and then the one that you know is next to her where there's like a 13 year old girl staying there like 
very uh, gross. Um, so it was just kind of like, I, I thought a little bit like maybe it was foreshadowing that scene where uh, she's kind of having a dream or a nightmare, or I don't know, maybe it is reality, we don't really know, where uh, he comes in, like puts the knife in her mouth, and then she hears a, a girl being sexually assaulted in the room next to her. And I was like, okay, like, you know, that that foreshadowing or imagery works specifically with the tie-in like near the end in the mansion as well i have to say like that whole subplot though like terrified me i thought that was so well done like the motel because yeah that's something that you don't really see and like because i love that this was like obviously riffing on the like you know ingenue like genre of cinema you know like ingenue comes and like gets destroyed by you know hollywood or whatever industry you know they're coming into and i don't know i just thought that whole subplot was just like absolutely bone chilling because it's that like basic level like you see them getting chewed up by the system and shit but like and like their peers but the very basic like their shelter they're staying in this like shitty ass motel and even there they're just like a meat grinder for like somebody else you know what i mean like whether it's you know the guy who owns it or like somebody that he knows maybe that he's like in collusion with or whatever i just like that to me like it made my skin crawl and i thought it was like extremely i think it's hilarious that keanu reeves played like the motel guy but uh two Mm -hmm. things he said that i really liked and then their illusions also um to lolita and also hard candy when he's talking about uh jesse i thought that was really cool yeah yeah well and that was kind of you know uh a running theme that i know i kind of weave through it and then once i read some was you know purposely placed was that he wanted to make sure there was lots of nods to Kubrick in this. Uh, rum. Yeah, he had the like yeah. the, the lipstick shade. You know. Red rum lipstick, the Lolita yeah. reference, uh, the room the 13-year-old is in is room 214. But isn't it room 217 or 237 in Kubrick? I mean, it's 237. Close, 237, yeah. and then in the book, I think it might be like 217, but whatever, you know. I I think his general gist was it was in the 200s. It's close, I for, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, for, I forget. It, it was a weird rundown where, you know, he, he his idea for this was he wanted it to have, like, shining pacing and shining uncomfortable feel to it. So, I mean, he, he definitely had a way. I was going to say what you were saying, Jill. I was going to say, this is this, like, the only or one of the few instances that uh, a director has made Keanu Reeves a piece of shit in a movie? I, so. I was like, I, I was like, I don't think Pretty he rare. really, yeah. really does this. And to me, I, I thought he was the brightest point of this film like he was my favorite in it i like i thought old man (laughs) i thought he was awesome i thought he was i thought he i thought he was awesome and i think maybe it was just the shock of like i'm like whoa this is such a weird part for keanu reeves the play so well that like reveal that they do right where he's behind the door and you can only see his like silhouette for the first like 30 seconds or whatever yeah. and then he opens the door up and it's like oh my god it's fucking keanu and it's like whoa like getting fucking hit in the face right and i feel like this was maybe like near the beginning of that like weird keanu renaissance where like all of yeah. a sudden pop culture was just like oh my god we love keanu like you know 
just out of nowhere again. So I feel like that timing was maybe like really yeah, kismet he, and like perfect. Yeah, he would have got cast for this probably after the the first John Wick and like right around when the second mm-hmm. John Wick was shooting because I know John Wick 2 came out the year I was in Toronto. So it's yeah. like, yeah, he was definitely on the rise, but not like peak Keanu again. Yeah, well, and I, I think too, it really threw me off this watch just because... Like I said, I couldn't really remember, like, the narrative of the movie very much. I'd only seen this one other time. So, for some reason, I went into this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'm pretty sure they, they make Keanu seem like a piece of shit. But I was like, I think he's good in this. Like, I think it's, like, her buddy. And I guess I was, like, the total opposite of wrong, like, correct. I he was wasn't just, the biggest piece of shit. I mean, I feel yeah. like most people are a piece of shit in this movie so i guess it's all relative mm-hmm. i mean but even I jesse say, well yes of course i mean they're all like <laughs> you know that kind of transformation she goes through is very interesting wait but- wh- why is jesse such a piece of shit in this movie she goes to a, a diner and then she brags about how great she is on the end of a diving board is that it well i mean i guess i looked at it is i i looked at it as like i mean one of the i think one of the to me was almost like a superficial moral of the story type thing is like she gets absorbed in this fashion industry and because he's on like this movie's automatically assuming that everyone in this fashion in fashion is just, you know, a predator or a piece of shit. And then she just kind of gets absorbed in that. And, you know, once once she's kind of has, you know, her revelation with, you know, the... I found it was, you know, at that scene where she's, like, on the catwalk. And then she has the, the vision, kissing the mirrors. And, I, you know, I'm not... Uh, I'm not great on, like, Greek mythology. I know it, it's, like, whatever whatever the word narcissist. Narcissist, like, yeah. The narcissist, story of narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I know it's, like, based off of that story, like, that whole imagery. And then, like, and then she basically transforms into, you know, she's just, like, another cog in the wheel of, of fashion. And, you know, then she starts you know, just kind of becoming an asshole like all the rest of them. Which to me, like, it works for the story, but at the same time, like I said, it's almost unfair because you, you also... I'm just trying to think how to put it. I guess to me, you know, Colton, you were talking about, like, un- people talking unnaturalistic and, like, wooden and everything like that. I think a hard thing with this film that you have to get past is that there's no one to really, like, latch on to jesse for a little bit and you know bean beans about it like beans really the only decent person in this entire movie yeah i didn't like him either i actually just don't like that actor and pretty much everything i've seen (laughs) he always comes off no matter what he always comes off very creepy to me or very like trying to remember his lines the entire time i I don't know. So he he's asking Jesse very much about like his photography and if they've been asking about him, he's very much like working his career as well. Mm-hmm. That's why yeah. I don't know. It's like, I guess I never really disliked Jesse really by the end of the movie. Like if I think about what she did wrong, like, yes, she becomes the neon demon on the runway. You know, she becomes like the it factor. She's, you know, who everybody wants to be. But like that's her career aspirations. She pushes off Jenna Malone with an unwanted sexual advance. And then when Carl wants to leave, Carl Glussman or uh, Dean, whatever his name is, it's like, she's just like, yeah, I'd rather not go. And it's like, okay. I don't know. It's it's like pretty minor to be like, have three women murder you and eat you. It's like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like she's not really that bad in comparison, but yeah. 
Did either did anyone else like find Dean creepy in the movie, or do you guys like Carol Glussman? I don't know. I've I've just I okay. I'm not gonna lie. I don't. I'm not familiar with him. Like he looked familiar. Like I'm like I know I've seen him and stuff, but honestly, he's a man, so I don't pay attention to male actors. So no offense yeah, to anybody, but like I don't I don't give a fuck. I've probably seen him in twenty things, and he's just like literally like oatmeal, right? Yeah, I think um, he's in some, like, Gaspar Noe stuff that I've seen him in. And, oh, yeah, okay, and, yeah. like, he's, yeah, I've seen some of his stuff, so I've definitely seen him, but um, I have to say, because when we were talking about, you know, Keanu and our thoughts about his acting and, you know, him being, like, a really good piece of shit and stuff, I absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed every fucking person in this movie. I think that, I don't care how wooden you think they are, everybody, like, I couldn't take my eyes off them, and they were magnetic and charismatic, like, I mean, Jenna Malone, obviously, is great, and we are not ever going to say anything bad about her. She no, I agree. She's the high Jenna point Malone, of the movie for me. Yeah. Always. Um, you know, Elle Fanning, I thought, did, like, this role. really interesting job with, like, kind of, you know, acting with her body and, like, her face and stuff. Because that's kind of, like, what you have to do. But, like, I found even the, the girls at first that played the other models, um, Sarah and Gigi, like, at first I was like... Oh, yeah, you know, they're the, like, blonde girls. But, like, by the end of it, I was like, God damn, I'm, like, I'm really invested. Like, I think these actresses are really good. Like, I just couldn't take my eyes off them. Maybe that's just me. Everybody in it, to me, like, did just such a phenomenal job. And, like, the guy that played, um... Oh, my God, not the photographer, because he was also good. Um, I saw him in Wrong Turn, but... The Dexter. designer? He was in Dexter, oh, remember too. Remember the dude? Yeah. The Robert designer, Sarno, yes, the I designer. Think, I was like, the, when they were... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I even thought that, like, he was really kind of, like, charismatic and, you know, magnetic in that, like, restaurant scene. And I just... I, I feel like a lot of people, you know, obviously like to throw shade at this movie for being, um, you know, very wooden and stuff. But I think even though the characters might be kind of built like that, that the actors are actually doing a really good job with that sort of, like, mannequin style that they're trying to stay within. Maybe that's just me, but I, like, I literally was like, oh my god, I love all these actors, like, so much. All my all my notes are like, GG, <laughs> Jenna Malone, like, exclamation yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, I mean... You know, like I said, I'm not as big of a fan of the movie as you guys, but, you know, I still like the cinematography. I still like the lighting. I still think the casting is good, by and large. You know, it's a lot of, like, yeah. faces that I like to see. You know, when Christina Hendricks pops up, I was oh like, oh, great. You know? Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, like Joan scene, Holloway. Right? Joan Holloway. Yeah. When she when she Joan pops up, Ray's. I was so excited. Yeah. That's all I think about. I'm like, Joan, she stole my like heart. a high point. And can I, like, can I just say... Everybody, when we're talking about Mad Men, just to take one little, like, 20-second side digression here, everyone's always like, oh my god, like, Peggy Olsen. And I'm like, no, Joan Holloway, like... Peggy Olsen's boring as bitch. Like, and she's a Scientologist. Christina Hendricks, man. And like, she plays on The Handmaid's Tale. Christina with Hendricks. Mark, a fucking Scientologist. Uh, yes. It's, yeah, I can't, I can't. The cognitive dissonance, I had to stop watching it in the first season. But anyway. It's all about I just, yeah, I had to throw it's that out there. I'm job. so glad everyone mentioned Christina Hendricks. Because she is. Yeah. A treasure and does not get enough work. Yeah. Uh, Bean is a piece of shit, though. I will say that because um, he finds out Mm -hmm. how young she is and he still tries to move on her and keeps trying. I have that noted. It's the it's the very next scene that he finds out she's 16 and we cut to him leaning over in the car, like trying to put the moves on her. And she, you know, pushes him away, thankfully. But I was just like greasy. That's what I'm saying. I I, I don't know. I I didn't care much for (laughs) Dean the entire movie anyways. It's like, do you make your career out of being? being a greasy asshole and do we respect that 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do we respect that you're so good at it that we fucking hate you? You know what I mean? Like, I, I, just, I could respect it if, like, I I believed he could remember his lines. Like, I, I could respect it then. But, like, oh, that's right. Yeah, it's so like you, the cogs are, are turning whenever he's on screen. That I'm just literally like he's trying to remember his lines. I don't know. It's just something I can't like unsee. You got to look at his eyes and see if he's like looking off camera with yeah. cue cards. <laughs> exactly. He's reading like the Bristol board right behind the camera. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like there. <laughs> the earpiece and you know the airpod in the one ear yeah, <laughs> they're just, just feeding them yeah it's yeah. like a cyrano de bergerac yeah i had read that uh apparently that was like the hardest role they had to cast because uh nicholas said that everyone that they tested came in and just all they did was mimic ryan gosling from drive yeah. and he like that was his big thing is he was like because this is you know this was kind of like his first movie of those bunch that Gosling wasn't in. He was like, I don't want yeah. a character like Gosling. Like, I don't want you to pretend you're Ryan Gosling. And the only reason he ended up casting that actor apparently was he's, I guess he's good friends with Gaspar Noe. And Gaspar Noe was like, hey, you should, you should hire this guy. At that time, I think that's when Love came out. Yeah. And he was the star of Love. And he was like, you should cast him. Like, he's great. And that's uh, what he did. I was going to say, uh, Jesse... I, I don't know if any of you guys looked into, but Jesse was actually supposed to be someone else. They had casted someone else. Uh, what's your it? name? Uh, Carrie Mulligan or whatever her name <gasps> is. Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Uh, probably like too old for the role, I would say. But anyways, go ahead. Well, sorry. I mean, yeah. 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 Apparently she was casted and everything. And then like she had a scheduling conflict and had to drop out of it. I wondered like, you know, we talked about. You know, we talked about Bean, Bean being creepy. Every all the guys kind of being creepy in this. They're all creepy, yeah. But I will say the second viewing, because of course, you know, if I've already seen it, I've talked about it on the podcast before. Like I'll be watching this, but I'll also kind of be like going through just like facts about it and reading stuff about it. And I didn't know that uh, Fanning was she was like actually sixteen when they shot this. Was she really? No oh, way. Really? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? So like when she got casted for this, she was sixteen. Uh, they said like when this came out, she had just turned like seventeen or eighteen. Basically, that that was like they were talking about. Uh, you know, I think is interesting because we have this movie that has these themes. Like apparently, the the whole scene where uh, she goes to meet is it like Jack is the initial photographer there? Photographer, yeah. Like apparently that was supposed to be like a fully nude scene where like we were actually going to see her nude and they were gonna like paint her whole body. And apparently, like I surprised that. And, you know, I, I never like to say, like, this is what it is, because you never know with what you're reading, whether or not, what's fact room. But apparently, like, they had the debate whether they were going to, like, make her do that, like, try to get permission for her to do that. And then, obviously, they were like, no, we can't do that, because no one's going to come <sighs> watch this movie then. Yeah, I, I will say, knowing that, on this rewatch, it made it, like, extra creepy that I oh, was just, like... Oh, that's such a creepy scene. Yeah. Like, all, all these scenes are even more creepy now. Like, you know, the the Keanu Reeves, like, raping with the knife. Like, knowing that, like, you have a 16-year-old actor that's mm -hmm. just, you know, even if she's acting, like, you know, performing these things. Just kind of creepy. A little, little creepy info for you. Well, and, and this kind of, like, adds even more to... Uh 
the fashion designer character. I very much believe that's a self-insert for Nicholas Winding Refn. If you look at him, he's like dressed very much and like his glasses and everything is like very much Nicholas Winding Refn. And I believe it's like pretty meta that he's making this movie. That guy's so obsessed with like getting like the right girl. You know, he picks like the youngest, like innocent looking virginal deer in the headlights type of girl for this role. And the dude is like such a douchebag. I don't know if you guys have listened to very much Nicholas Winding Refn, but I don't know. Rowan messaged me a couple of weeks ago, basically being like, oh man, I listened to Robert Eggers and he's such a douchebag. He doesn't like Marvel movies or whatever. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just like, bro, you love Nicholas Winding Refn. He's the biggest fucking douchebag I've ever heard. So I, I, I was like, when I saw that character, I could not like not see Nicholas Winding Refn. And I was just like, oh, this is like another, um, it's like a another metaphor or symbolism within the movie, right? Like he's uh, he's obsessed with making art, you know, casting these women, you know, like their pieces of meat to display his art. What is Nicholas Winding Refn doing in this movie to get his points across? Like, I don't know. It was just, it all felt gross to me. <laughs> like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't like that. I hated that character. Yeah. Also, Nicholas Winding Refn describes himself as a pornographer as well. Like, He's like, I don't, you know, I don't make films. I'm a pornographer. He just cares about like shooting bodies and the aesthetic and stuff, which I don't know. I guess maybe I, I want a little bit of plot, not necessarily my pornography, but in my films, I want a little bit of plot, I guess. And he doesn't, he doesn't care about that, I guess. I don't know. It's just, it's just no, weird. I know. He has it's, a very... no, it's no bunch of Quakers looking at a creepy goat for two hours. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> As if that's my favorite movie ever, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just going to uh I'm just going to ignore all of the uh slander. I'm going to ignore the yeah. slander. I'm going to ignore We're the just, interviews. It's playful what about, ribbing. What about the... It's playful ribbing. Yeah, what about the character? Like what do you think of the character then? Did you see it as did you see Refin in that character at all or you just, you know, just saw the character or Yeah, I, I just I just kind of saw the character. So, okay. some more of the reading I did about it, like apparent apparently that character like was actually like very uh was like a very minor character uh like even smaller role than now it it was a weird thing it, essentially like uh whoever the actor is that plays plays them was supposed to have a bigger role in this movie and couldn't do it so they they just kind of fit him in to this fashion designer role and then they they expanded the fashion designer role but now see now that you say it i'm like oh yeah maybe maybe that's exactly what what's going on it's just very coincidental that he's you know he's making his art with a new fresh face and then that's exactly what nicholas winding reference doing with this movie right he's picking an actress that's brand new and apparently 16 and wants her to do nude shots so yeah i know it's too guy. meta for me now <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> I think you've ruined it. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to not think about it anymore. Jill, I want to yeah. hear. I want to hear some more of your thoughts, Jill. You you had ten pages of notes. Yeah, okay. let's get into it. Okay, let's see what I got here first. Um, so the first question I was asking myself is like, what is who is the neon demon? So I had a lot of thoughts about that. I thought you would have um, known it's me. 
I am the neon I am demon. so sorry. I like I didn't get that. So I was wondering if it was the fashion slash modeling industry itself, or is it vanity itself? And does Jesse or Elle Fanning does she become the neon demon, or you know, is she just a product of the neon demon? Um, and then there are all these triangles in the movie, and like yes. the Triforce <laughs> symbol. And yeah. I tried to like I drew a bunch of triangles, and I. <laughs> This, this is going to sound whack. This is going to sound manic. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so my first triangle was, okay, if the neon demon is vanity itself, we have Jesse trapped in the middle of it. We have Ruby at the bottom. Like she's the foundation. Cause she got her, um, she got her like more and more. So into it, she like helped mm-hmm. her. And then you yeah. have Sarah and Gigi on the sides, uh, making the other two sides of the triangle. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, okay, what if, it is about vanity or narcissism itself. Um, then you have like the Triforce. You have um, Jesse who's stuck in the middle and the whole thing is like the industry. Uh, on one of the other mini triangles, you got Ruby and then the other ones, Gigi and Sarah. And then I had like my running themes on the outside of the triangle, uh, like predation, competition or jealousy. And then like uh, I already mentioned narcissism. Um, so yeah, uh, what do you think? Literally, I took it very literal, but uh, I mean, I like your interpretation, specifically the the three women, Jesse in the middle, the foundation being, what's the character's name? It's Jenna Malone. Ruby. But, uh, Ruby. Yeah, basically being the one that is a foundation. She's the one that like introduces her to more people in the industry, you know, does her makeup, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I really like that reading. Whenever I watch the movie, I took the literal one where, you know, she changes underneath the neon lights and that scene that we've already said where she's like kissing herself in the mirror and it's like we don't know what's real and what's not i always took the literal approach but i mean i like those metaphorical approaches or you know what you put out there as right. well and it's like she's trapped in the middle and she can't escape it so in the end they're all going to like corner her and kill her uh which yeah. is cool another thing since you brought up ruby is i thought there was um some really interesting stuff about her obviously like her name and then the grooming aspect. So she's literally a mortician, right? Um, mm-hmm. So her job is to transform people to whatever needs um, she has to do. And she also grooms Jesse in a way. Like she gets mm-hmm. her more into the industry and then she actually like sexually assaults her. Um, yeah. So I thought, and she's also brushing her hair right before she does that. So I thought there was like a lot of grooming stuff going on there. Mm. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I definitely, I definitely got those vibes. And, and that's why, you know, I, I, I think there's definitely, you know, you're, you're definitely on to something with the triangles. I think there's obviously supposed to be some sort of like occultish vibe going on in this whole like fashion LA scene mm-hmm. and the grooming part to me was like a b- big thing because I thought yeah like Ruby this doesn't seem like the first time she's done it to me right. I was like this is Ruby grooms them you know they, they become this like neon demon and, and just at you know kind of I mean, she knew exactly what to say to her at the beginning right exactly like she knew exactly yeah. how to like stroke her ego and, but also how to like seem like she was being cautious and a friend and all that you know typical grooming shit but like that scene when she's marking on the mirror you know they very specifically have that 
stuffed fucking like leopard in the background behind her Mm -hmm. while she's marking on the mirror with the lipstick like it could not be any clearer you know yeah she has those tattoos at the end yeah 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 i was gonna say what did you guys make of that near the end like she has clearly like occult tattoos on her like you know like the rings around her nipples the like weird crude drawings like on her stomach we never get a good shot of any of it to really like kind of make much of it but like I Which was is weird because she's was... naked for like four solid minutes. At the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like they they shoot around it. Like I feel like I may have saw like um kind of like two people having sex on one part of it. I'm not sure, but oh, wow. it was the type of thing where I was like, okay, is this movie trying to now do the hereditary thing where it was like all divine, the symbols were there throughout, but you were overlooking it, and it was always going to end this way because there was like a a supernatural force or something involved in it. And I was like, I don't really think there's enough substance in the movie to like give it that reading. But it I was just like, I, like, I was just wondering why. <laughs> I think it's a nod to like, you know, all these conspiracy theories that you hear about, like in the showbiz industry and in LA, um, you know, like you hear all these crazy things like, oh, they're sacrificing children and they're like yeah. bathing in their blood. And also uh, to go back to that Ruby thing, she's like bathing in blood at the end. It was a great like yeah. Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth Bathory. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, and I, I did love, the, I did love like the the shots of her in the bath. You know, I a little that was one of but, the, like it's true because it kind of like it goes back to that kind of like Manson family thing, right? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. And, and this was this was one of the scenes where, like, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, we've seen way worse. I'm not offended, but like, these were one of the scenes I just felt like he could have trimmed a bit, like uh, the shot where we have her, like looking at the other two like sharing together and they're kind of like wiping the blood off each other i think it was interesting because i know jill you said like when we started you know that when you looked at this as like a real like feminine feminist film i think i did get those vibes but what's hard with a lot of these films that are meant i think this is made to be looked at as a feminist game yeah like i think the male gaze is really coming through there like the shots just really lingering too long like the points already made and we're just going like up and down their bodies as slow as possible for no like real narrative reason i so, liked it well i mean and because <laughs> i was ahead, watching so it in the dark. Like, no, i want to talk about this scene <laughs> so it like took me a while to figure out that it was blood coming off but it might have been because okay. there's like sunlight like glaring at my tv oh but, yeah okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what i was gonna say interestingly enough i just brought up the male gaze the cinematographer is a woman on this movie ah. so, yes I mean, yeah it felt very much to me that it was very male gazy as I was watching it. Like it was like once again what Rowan's saying is lingering on the the women for like a very long time, like in the showering scene. Like it almost feels like it's supposed to be titillating. But yeah. I guess that's nice word that's choice. also the theme of the movie, I guess, to some degree, right? So titillating. Um, but it's but it's funny because like <laughs> it, I was watching it and I was like, clearly the cut back and forth, and because Rose said it went on for like three solid minutes and there was really only like two shots, was that it was her obviously watching them and knowing that she's, you know, yes. whatever, like a bi or a lesbian or whatever. And that kind of like complicates this gaze theory because the whole theory of, like, the male gaze never allows for anything other than a, like, hetero cis male version of that. And I just thought that was interesting because, you know, it's, like, the perspective of 
it's kind of the male gaze because it's like looking at the like nude female body and stuff but it's like complicated because it's kind of like from the you're cutting back to the pov of like a woman yeah but it's also like but again it's it's the same sort of like feeling as you would get but anyway it's uh, listen i I guess my real issue with it i think maybe in terms of the feeling of the male gaze in that scene was maybe like in the editing process because we do get the cuts back and forth but then we ultimately just give up on getting Ruby's reaction to it. And then it's like, nah, fuck it. Like for two minutes, we're just going to look at these girls touch themselves in the shower, which I, you know, and like I said, like you said, Mike, like I can get where we say, okay, we know she's looking. So we're seeing it from her point of view. I just, I felt like that was a scene where like, we probably could have got more out of, out of, I guess like reaction out of Ruby's side of things or something like that. Other than just, you know, I felt it was like they just gave up and they're like nah you know we no one wants to just watch Ruby like you know we can't see anything nude on Ruby really so let's just focus on the shower and then that's just kind of how I felt when I'm watching that I was like ah like all right I guess this is what we're doing maybe we should think of it as a cleansing after watching Ruby uh go to town on a corpse this is where we get to get clean together. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I feel like you're going to Unclean, more... unclean, unclean. <laughs> Very disturbing scene as well. I feel like you're going to Rose talking about scenes that could have used trimming, and he's talking Not about this scene, <laughs> which yeah. is frankly inoffensive to me when compared with that. <laughs> Again, not complaining. Because, I turned like, down the volume when that came on. Uh, yeah, I had... Um, when I was watching this, of course, you know, like, with the dialogue, you have to, like, turn it up really loud because, you know, then, then the music gets really loud and you turn it down low and you're like, fuck, I got to jack the volume up again. And then, you know, it's like, oh, God, I got to turn the volume back down. <laughs> I need to mute this or my neighbors are going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sure they I'm already are. My windows open. Yeah, they're like, what's going on down there? <laughs> yeah, it's even that scene's even more creepier now because we get cross cuts to Elle Fanning as well like while she's doing that like very clearly like she's thinking of her but now Elle Fanning being 16 in the movie or thinking of her while you're doing this to a corpse is just is a I mean it's a horror movie so it's horrific you well, gotta I mean, give it that well yeah I mean it is a horror movie but I, I feel like a, a lot of the horror doesn't happen until probably like the latter half other than just thematic like you know this industry is horrible these guys are creepy I guess the, yeah. the probably like the biggest horror part is well Mike was saying the climax was a little bit later but I think the climax of the movie is actually when um the three women kind of in, ensnare her and like chase her through the house a bit with the knives and stuff a lot of the lighting there and the holding the you know the chef's knife up to defend herself and stuff like that a lot of that gave me some good horror vibes for sure yeah that, you know, I wish that had gone on for a bit longer I could have gone on for like a good yeah, I, I solid like yeah. shut up bro I could have gone for a like a abrupt, nice 5 though. or 6 yeah. minute chase scene around that mansion it was huge it was huge I, I was thinking the we exact same thing we had some really good chase scenes yeah I like, was like here we go we're going in the full giallo so you know yeah. I'm for it I was like, just give me the Argento. Give it to me like I want Butcher knives coming through doors. Like, yeah. I mean, and speaking of villainy. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying all we were missing is the black gloves. That's all we were missing. (laughs) True. Um, And speaking of villainy and, you know, the fashion industry being like the big bad in this movie and all, I think like the ultimate villain is like uh, a toxic girl versus girl 
uh, culture that they have going on. That's like another one of the themes I was thinking of uh, where girls um, are out to like eat each other or get each other like, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that kind of permeates all throughout society. It's not in ju- just in the fashion industry. It's everywhere. It's true because remember right at the end when that that other model um, says to her, like, have you ever had a girl steal a job from you? Mm-hmm. As if it's the girl's fault and not whoever makes yeah. the decision. You know yeah. what I mean? And like that just point. shows. Yeah, that just shows that they're literally just like just pitting the people at the bottom of the rung of the ladder of the like of society as a whole in a way like against each other instead of like going after the systematic problems you're not saying mm-hmm. like what's going on with these like predatory like casting directors and you know designers and photographers and all that no it's like the girl stole the job you know what i mean and it's like i ate her it's like yeah it's like literally <laughs> just you know like this class warfare except it's just like intra-class right like it's just it's just yeah awful. there's <laughs> There's there's that level of like, you know, women quite literally eating each other. But there's also that whole thing about like, oh, the industry is going to eat you up and spit you out, which is like very literally what happens at the end of this yeah. movie with mm-hmm. whichever one it is, Gigi or the other one that I don't yes, remember her Gigi. name right now. Yeah, it's just, you know, where she ate her up, spat her out. It's just like, like, OK, yeah, I, I got it. Thanks, Nicholas Winding Refn. I, I got your metaphor long ago, but thanks. <laughs> Um, I think it wasn't it Gigi. She's the one with like plastic surgery, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I had another idea was like, yeah. like she ate her and uh, they were harping on her, or at least I think the Sarna guy was like harping on her about um, how she wasn't an, a, a natural beauty. Natural, and it was, like, yeah. Manufactured, <laughs> but like you could never have what Jesse has. You'll never have yeah. it no matter how hard you try. Uh, and she's like going on about being like a bionic woman. But then when she eats Jesse, she can't keep it down. So like maybe even if you do something crazy like this, you're still never going to be at the top. You're not going to be that hot commodity. And then it's funny because Sarah, who I don't think has any plastic surgery, comes and eats the eyeball afterwards. So I don't know what's going to happen with her. Hopefully uh, she has an iron stomach. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I kind of took it in the way of like she just literally didn't have the stomach for it. Like what they did, like they committed the murder, they consumed it, but she was one of the ones that didn't have the stomach for it. I guess she's not cut out for this, you know, where the other one is clearly going to be the the top dog or, you know. She's going to be able to take Yeah. That's what, that's but like Jill's idea her, but... feeds into the whole like cannibalistic metaphor. I mean, know? so I does like not that. having the stomach for it. Where they oh, literally eat someone and they puke them up. Listen, <laughs> I'm trying I, to give Jill I, props, I, I, okay? No, Jill's bringing, Jill's bringing like loads of good ideas and like extra layers of meaning to the movie. It's just Nicholas Winding Refn, I think, is kind of stunned like a lot of the time. Like, I feel like his metaphors are very on the nose. It's all like very obvious the entire movie he's telling us. But I mean, I do very much like Jill's interpretations of it for sure. What did what did you think of that moonshot, Jill, with like Ruby near the end of the movie? I wasn't sure. Like, was uh, she like birthing someone? Was she urinating? Was it period? Oh. I have no clue what was going on in that okay. scene. Do you have any insight? So I do because of Wikipedia. So before okay. <laughs> uh, I even watched the movie, I Wikipedia'd it, and I was like, okay. And they talk about at the end, um, Ruby urinating and blood gushing from it i don't really know um so when i was okay. watching it i was like is that the urinating part because it doesn't really look like it to me so i don't know if that's part of like her uh occultish type ritual something mm-hmm. to do i have no idea what's going on there but it was weird so sorry. yeah I was, 
I was wondering if it was like birth or rebirth, like a new version of herself is coming out. I I don't know. I was trying to figure out. That was like one of the few metaphors be, in the movie that kind of eluded yeah. me. Could be like rejuvenation after consuming like a new person. Um, yeah. You know, maybe she's going to be more revitalized or something. And maybe like Rowan said, maybe she does this a lot because her house seemed kind of sketchy. So maybe this is the cycle <laughs> that she does to like, you know, keep mm-hmm. going. I don't know. I couldn't really tell what it was either. I took it, I guess, you know, I just went off on my own lane. I kind of understood it as like her menstrual cycle. And I, cause I was going with those themes of like, rejuvenation and this cycle beginning again because I assumed she does this often so I it's kind of like okay like ginger snaps yeah what is it Keanu said are you going to buy her tampons <laughs> well it, and this is a little this is a little uh Colton skepticism uh leaking mm. into me on the watch like just because I'm like all right like hey that's what I viewed it as and then I was like I wonder what Nicholas was like doing here and then I was like you know the moon and the menstrual cycle and the rejuvenate I'm like this seems like pretty low hanging fruit on like feminist horror films and I was like I feel like he probably would have grabbed at that and you know I'm not I'm not saying it worked or it didn't work I'm just saying that's kind of how I felt about that scene. That's a little weird. <laughs> a little weird? Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I do uh I do want to say though, Jill, uh the creepy house. Uh-huh. Uh I was curious, Mike, if you actually recognize the creepy house. Mm, should I have? I mean, it looked vaguely familiar. It kind of looked like the house from the craft. I'm not gonna lie. From the craft? No. It, <laughs> yeah, I don't. It it wasn't from uh it wasn't from the craft. It was from Scream Three. <gasps> no. Oh my god. Listen, I haven't watched Scream Three in eons. Or the I should say the mansion, like the mansion at the end scene. At the end, I yeah, guess yeah, yeah, of the, course, yeah. of course. That that's the mansion from Scream Three. Oh wow. Okay, that's really cool. I wish I had known that. I'm gonna have to go rewatch it just for that. <laughs> little horror tidbit for you colton mike jill you guys got some more points you want to uh talk about before we land the plane i want to give a shout out to uh skinny pete from breaking bad he's in this movie for one scene i think he's the guy who like breaks in the to room with uh keanu reeves you know for like the cougar or whatever it is (laughs) so i was happy to see him in the movie it's just another example of casting that i enjoyed i i love breaking bad so yeah i don't know we've kind of covered basically all my notes but i'm also not the one with 10 pages of them so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just appreciate the lady gaga reference when they're at the fashion show where she takes the lead and they have the like makeup I guess the like little sketches of what the makeup is supposed to look like on the mirrors. And it's very clearly Lady Gaga from the applause single cover. But anyway. Oh, is it? Okay. I just appreciated that. Really, the big thing I had left that, you know, surprisingly, we haven't talked about yet. Me and Mike, the score, the The music. I listen. We we didn't even get a chance to get into it. Listen, I know it wasn't the like wall to wall bangers of drive but like literally i knew i was like the score is great because it's the same guy that did the drive score cliff martinez yes um but i was like this is one of those movies that when the fucking 
bomb-ass beat-filled song kicks in. It's the best goddamn song you ever heard. And it happens, like, four times in the movie, so it's, like, it's used more sparingly, but, like, goddamn, it's, like, I want to fucking, like, be in this room. I want to dance to this right now. It's a vibe. It is absolutely a vibe. Except, you know, like, the the last one, it was more, like, you know, driving around late at night, whereas this is more, like, L.A. Club, you know what I mean? So it's got, like, more of a, like, thumpy club vibe as opposed to, like, 80s synth wave moodiness shall we say yeah but yeah jill we i feel like i kind of interrupted you there did you have any oh. other points or um i think uh, i agree with mike the music is really good um that's another thing about it uh one more thing i have this is the last thing i'll say um is when in the beginning when she's like having that initiation uh in the bathroom with the girls and they're putting on lipstick and stuff um one of the quotes they're like um women are more likely to buy lipstick if it's named after food or sex and that is so true like i didn't expect for that movie to come after me like it did but like <laughs> ma- like i am th- like i will yes like all my makeup is named after it's like cupcake peach like if it smells like peaches i want it if it smells like chocolate i want it or if it's like uh nars orgasm nars deep yeah, it's like, like <laughs> just banged like <laughs> Yeah, and it's yeah. funny because they're like, which one are you? Are you um, sex or are you food? And then I think Ruby says she's dessert because she's so sweet. And it's sweet, really interesting yeah. because Ruby tries to sexually assault her. It doesn't really go that far. So she's not sex. And then they eat her. So she's literally dessert or food. Oh, my God. That's insane. <laughs> it's also interesting because she has no agency really over like which she is, right? Like Ruby makes mm. the choice for her. What mm. is she, food or sex? And, you know, we're not See? really sure Feminist explicitly movie. which one she chooses. Yeah. yeah. She has no agency it's, over she, what she is. She's just like a blank slate that everybody else puts their desires onto. Yeah, which Much is like quite literally the photographer scene with the gold paint and stuff, right? Yeah. You know, and what is gold? It's malleable, but it's also beautiful and whatnot as well so there's a lot of it in there it's just that was a cool scene where he does like that dramatic like artist touch at the end where he flicks up the gold on her neck on her neck like her into a star and the other question i have and i promise this is the last thing (laughs) but like what do you think uh jesse's star power actually is and is it because she's so young and innocent and if that's the truth that's really disgusting if that's all they want but it's very likely that's what it is What do you guys think? I, okay, so this is bizarre. Um, So when I started rewatching it, I was going to post that I was watching it on Twitter and just put a couple of like pictures up or GIFs or whatever, because I always do that. And um, when I was flicking through and trying to find some like good ones, I I was looking at the pictures, but then I kind of like saw the little, like, like if they were from an article, it would have the like title of the article like kind of half of it underneath it in the google image search and there was one that said like i didn't even read the article so i can't like i have no idea like what the substance of it was but it the the quote underneath the picture was cannibalizing purity and then it was continuing on with something Mm -hmm. and so the whole time then that i was watching the rest of the movie i kept thinking about purity versus impurity and i kind of thought that 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 she was very like porcelain and that it was more about her being like pure and that's why she was so young and you know 
innocent and hadn't fucked anybody and all this and they were all like impure in certain ways and like especially like Jenna Malone with like fucking a corpse because it's like ultimate desecration but she's covered in tattoos so like at the end I was like looking at her body and going like she is like trying to expel and like maybe that whole thing at the end was like her trying to expel her impurities you know what I mean and it's kind of like becomes this like weird right and it becomes this weird like they had to eat her because she was pure and like it's like eat or be eaten Ooh, yeah. and everybody like else is just sort of tainted. And yeah, yeah that yeah. was, that was my sort of like, like I just read that phrase and I didn't even read the article and I just, so that triggered like the whole time I was watching it, all these like kind of thoughts in my head about that. I don't know why I didn't bring it up earlier. I just sort of got carried away, but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting way to like read a lot of the stuff that was happening right. and it made it, it made it less about like, Oh, she's 16 or whatever. And it's more about, She's 16 because it has to represent this, like, a literal, you know, she hasn't been tainted by the world yet, but she's about to be because they're going to, they're going to eat her up, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was kind of, I got, like, kind of what, what Jill was saying at the end where I was thinking this industry is, like, pretty toxic, you know? I think that a lot of the people were just viewing her as fresh meat and looking at a lot of the other people as, like, used up or they've been around the block you know he he doesn't want someone who you've seen in every other runway show to be leading his fashion collection or the showstopper he wants someone who's fresh-faced and someone you know who hasn't been essentially used up or hasn't been you know cast Mm -hmm. and everything before so I kind of think it's weird knowing now that Carrie Mulligan was going to be cast in this movie because Carrie Mulligan yeah, very that's much a, she's in a completely like, different phase, right? She's playing like yeah. uh, mother roles most of the time, in, right? In so, Drive, she was literally a mom. The mother, like. yeah. It, it's super bizarre. Um, I'm not saying Carrie Mulligan can't, you know, obviously pass for younger. I mean, loads of actresses do it. It's just, it's very weird. Like, I almost feel like you cast Elle Fanning very much because you want someone who's very young. You want her to have the big eyes, you know, deer in the headlights sort yeah. of look. I thought she was, like, perfectly cast in this movie for what oh, they were yeah. going for. She was wonderful. But yeah, but, yeah, I think she just looks different from the rest of the women, which, you know, I think they're, like, the women in the movie are beautiful, obviously. They're all models, but she does look very different than a lot of them. You know, she has the big eyes. She's very petite, and obviously everyone in the movie keeps pointing out that she's so innocent and virginal and oh oh, who did you fuck Mm -hmm. to get this interview and you know obviously she's not doing any of that but uh yeah that was kind of my read on it she was just a fresh face what about you rowan i did uh when i was watching like i was thinking about the the purity aspects uh of it i will say i guess i i went a little deeper into the more nefarious parts of it where to me like i kind of viewed it that he was really i think he felt he was holding a mirror to this industry i mean i think about like whether or not we, you know, now that we know she was 16 when she made it, like, the character is 16, and, you know, these are kind of like the horror stories you hear out of the fashion world in, like, general media is, you know, girls lying about their ages and being used by, you know, older men and older women and just... Poured out by their parents. And exactly. And I think, you know, I think even in 2016, we're we're still steadily building up on that prominent narrative of, you know, the 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 quote unquote, like Holly weird and and just, you know, these strains of, you know, just like 
pedophilia that people feel are in these industries. And it's kind of like I said before, like, do I think Refn, you know, do I think that he thought he was doing, like, this amazing, like, never-before-done thing? Like, probably. It's been done, but, yeah. uh, you know, that's what I took it as in total. I hope that answered the question. Awesome. Well, uh, if that's all our points, we will land the plane and get into our rating. So if you are new to the show, our rating system is nay, okay, yay, or slay. And Jill, you are the special guest on the episode, so we will let you go first. Okay. Well, I will give that a slay um, because... I thought it was an, a it was a really good experience. Like the whole movie was just an experience. Like everything just like it just melded together perfectly. I loved it. Slay. What about you, Mike? Yeah, honestly, like Slay. It's listen, I I get it. I get the critique. I get like what you're saying. I get what Colton's saying. And I understand it, but like I think like Jill, I looked at it more as a like aesthetic and visceral experience and i don't want all of my movies to have substance honestly like sometimes i just want like something that i can eat up with my eyes and this did that for me and i also like things that are just fucking weird and mysterious and while obviously there's a lot of stuff in this that you know is obviously like a sledgehammer you know what sometimes that's what you need and i just appreciated the like allusions to all sorts of like there's so many allusions and stuff in this like you you could do a whole other episode on like you know there's like allusions to like surrealist art in it and like all sorts of like insane fashion photography and stuff like that and it's just i the more i watched of it like the more i kind of like the second time around i kind of picked up on all this this stuff that he was throwing in there that not everybody would appreciate and i just i ate it up and then vomited out the eyeball. So, also an image I will never forget. One more thing. I don't think you should have to, like, defend your uh, position on it. You like what you like, and I don't think it lacks Yeah, substance. and I like it. Yeah, there's like plenty it. of substance. You just gotta open yeah. your fucking eyes. Don't say that, Jill. We, we make Mike defend <laughs> oh. all of his choices. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have been here for some of these choices. <laughs> yeah. I can uh, listen, only imagine. Honestly, Ro has a point, so... <laughs> Thank you, Jill, but Ro does also have a point. I got you. How about you, Colton? Yeah, I'm in the minority on this one. Even on my letterbox, most people give this like a four, four and a half, five stars. I think the movie's okay. I I do subscribe to the style over substance thing that is just, I do agree. The score is great. The cinematography is great. Uh, A lot of the lighting, you know, it's very much a vibe for a lot of it, but... I have mentioned I do get bored about 35 minutes in. I checked my phone once at 35 minutes, checked it again at like 55, so I had over an hour left. So uh, it doesn't really do much to me. I, I'm very much like I've seen loads of like art house films or like uh, just very visually stunning movies. And I, I'm always left wanting something more. So I'm very much not that guy. And it's just like, I don't know, even like the story itself, I don't think it's particularly original. Like Mulholland Drive does this, you know, Starry Eyes does this pleasure does it this year with the porn industry you know there's there's loads of movies that kind of do this story and i'm not i'm not even saying that a story has to be completely original it's just i've got what this movie does with an actual story with actual characters and better writing elsewhere so i understand people like watch this for the aesthetic i'm just i'm very much not one of those guys so yeah it's it's an okay for me 
What about you, Rowan? So I'm going to split it down the middle. Uh, I'm going to say yay. I can't give it a slay. It is a vibe. I like it. I know you want to. I've got to give it a yay. I mean, this isn't a reffing film that like I necessarily am going to pop back in immediately. Like Drive, I watch all the time. Like all the time. Where this one, like, I'll probably revisit this in a couple years again. And love every minute of it, but it's not, it's not something overly, yeah, that I'd, I'd visit. And like I said, I just, I like Colton, like, I kind of, I felt a lot of the stuff was, you know, the story was lacking a little for me. Visually, it's amazing, but I'm going to go Argento probably before I grab this. Like, I'm going to go at a Suspiria or a Tenembrae or like something like that. And I'll get all the vibes of this I want and you know, more story, really. Yeah, I'll give it a yay. You know what? I, two slays, a yay, and an okay are, are pretty pretty good. I thought there was going to be at least a, a one nay in here. So I'm happy with that. <laughs> I'm, uh, to be honest, I'm shocked that Colton's in a good as, mood. Yeah. yeah, I was like, I'm no, fine. That, that's the thing. It's like, when I rate things on Letterboxd, it's like, I would give this a three out of five in my books, which is, it's it's okay, you know, like, the 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 casting and all the lighting and stuff like i said it raises it up a little bit even if i feel like a lot of it is pretty hollow (laughs) yeah yeah. so not me with predator giving it two stars or whatever (laughs) no i don't say something's the best (laughs) the best action movie and give it a two stars i mean that's loads (laughs) of shade (laughs) i feel like uh i was gonna say one of the other funny letterbox uh reviews i saw was just someone talking about how they like saw it at like a premiere in new york or something and i feel that colton is the person they were talking about they said while they were watching it an old woman walked out during the final scene and just screamed at the whole theater this movie is for sick people and then walked away (laughs) (laughs) yes it is it is I mean, I don't know Damn if I'd go that far. I've seen, I've seen sicker movies, but uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the greatest watch this week, that's for sure. So uh, this week, you guys didn't tell us what you thought about it because uh, no one left any comments, which didn't surprise me. I feel like this is a, a polarizing. Let's see. Let's see. The weeks that nobody has anything to say about it. It's always a mic pick. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair to our listeners, I was a little bit late putting up the poll this time and i think i may have disguised the like what's your review or what did you think on this movie a little bit like i i picked the same color as the background and rowan didn't even see it there he like I asked did. me like, oh, okay are we gonna ask? so what you're so saying i think i, I may have fucked up is what i'm saying me. You <laughs> no i i, I <laughs> no i always love to hear what the listeners are saying but i think i may have screwed up this time you know it may have been easily overlooked is what i'm saying fair fair and the uh the horrific hotline is empty also not surprising on this one like Man, i said no one ever wants to leave us a voicemail it's brutal especially not on a mic pick that's people don't talk on phones anymore uh see and that's a very good point uh, we said they can e- they can email it in too i mean we'll we'll throw anything in there you know but with that colton tell them if they do want to leave a message, where they can leave it. Yeah, they can go ahead and head on over to, uh, well, you don't have to head on. You just got to dial this number. It's one 418 8620 to leave us a message on voicemail. And like I said, if you want to do that, 
you know, you want to record something yourself and splice it up a bit, you can always just send it directly to us. It's I'm pretty sure it's it's Lay's podcast at gmail.com, right? It is. Yeah. And uh, if you'd like to follow us on our social medias, we're everywhere at It's Lay's podcast. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Slasher, Letterboxd. I don't know. There's probably some other social media that Rowan threw us on. Uh, but yeah, we're everywhere at It's Lay's podcast. And what about uh, the horrific playlist, Rowan? So yeah, if uh, if you like the music from this, this will definitely uh, be getting a few editions uh, uh, on Spotify. We have our own playlist. It's the It Slays Podcast Horrific Playlist, uh, where we have music from the movies we reviewed that we enjoyed, as well as just uh, music from horror movies in general that we like. And, you know, it's never a... Never a wrong time of the year to just jam to some great horror music. I do it all the time, so I seem like a pretty relatively normal person, I would hope. Yeah, I was going to say, I think saying normal is a little bit generous to you, considering you've seen a Serbian (laughs) film three or four times. I don't know if the average bear has seen that, but... uh... Yeah, I mean, you're yeah. somewhat well-adjusted, I guess. I'm a sick, sick puppy, guys. What can I say? <laughs> so all that's really uh, left is to announce the upcoming episode. But before we do that, uh, Jill, I wanted to give you a second. Like, if you wanted to, you know, if you want people to, like, follow you anywhere or know what the business is, I give you a little time to say something. Oh, my God. You're rolling out Plug the red carpet? Yeah. I roll out the red carpet only for okay. the VIP guests. Well, damn. I just shut down my Etsy shop for the summer. Um, oh. if you'd like to follow me, it's IDK, my BFF Jill with a G on Instagram. That's it. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> she is iconic, a legend, an icon. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have her back. So, uh, please. We'll, we'll have a film that we know that Colton will need a nemesis for. So, what? I don't want to be the nemesis. <laughs> No, I mean, she no, brought great I, points. I think we should have her back for sure. A mic pick. I, bring me back for I a mic pick. Need, yeah, we're going to bring you back for happen. a mic pick, a, a real mic pick, a mic pick that we're all just like, Jesus okay. Christ. Listen. Why did he pick this? Okay, so so now that we've figured this out, I'm, I'm going to calibrate a pick for Jill to come on and that everyone's gonna hate. <laughs> this, this is this is this is gonna be my rubric. Have you guys the seen the um, Confessions of a Teenage Placenta movie? No, no I haven't what? even heard of it. <laughs> what? Maybe we should have a jail pick. Uh, uh, that, that was like a weird plot twist at the end of that sentence. Like, I think it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I have Amazon Prime. Please look it up. It's amazing. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. That was. It's definitely a mic pick. But yeah, so all we do have left is to announce the upcoming episode. And Colton, I think it falls on you. Yeah, I don't know if what I'm picking is quite as good as what Jill just said. But uh, what we're going to be covering next time is a a very special movie to me. It's a movie that gave me nightmares for years after seeing it. And in some ways still affects me to this day. So, uh, of course, I feel I'm like it's about... going to be highly, highly controversial, too. Yes. Well, I was going to get into that. But of course, I'm talking about the Spielberg classic Jurassic Park. You know, it's a it's an episode that's been 65 million years in the making. And uh, honestly, uh, some people probably won't classify it as a horror movie. So I'm sure we'll get into that and a whole lot more on the next episode. So I think that is everything. Thank you, Jill, yet again for coming on and, uh, you know, just keeping us men in line for this one. 
Yes, it was wonderful. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. But that is everything. Thank you for listening. I am Rowan. Bye, it's Mike. I am Colton. See you later. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. What the prime time gets. Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. I've got to return some videotapes.